watch. I'm just typing. I like to watch typing. Okay. Um, Cincinnati is spelled C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I. There's a different Cincinnati. There's only one. How can you be a writer if you don't know how to spell? Spelling's got nothing to do with writing. Mrs. Lang says spelling is very important. Well, you tell Mrs. Lang it's impossible to spell and write at the same time. Charlie Brown, it's true. I recognize your frailties, your weaknesses. You need me to point out your faults, Charlie Brown. It's for your own good. Besides, I can do it for you better than anyone else. My system is unique. What's so unique about it? See what I've done? I put all of your faults on slides. We're going to project your faults onto a screen. Good grief. Oh, hi, Peter. Hi, Lucy. Happy birthday. Thank you. Margie, Peter's here. Did you have to do that? Hi, Peter. How are you? Where's Jan? Oh. Okay, everybody. Here's my sister, the new Jan Brady. Hi there. Happy birthday, Lucy. Hi, Margie. Hi. Jan. That's terrific. Thanks. That's the funniest joke you've ever played. to another edition of the Retro Room, and welcome to 2019. Happy New Year. Hope everyone had a great holiday and a great New Year. We're starting off with a really special show, I think. A child actress that many of us have seen over the years from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. She was in shows from Beretta to Chips to Barnaby Jones, The Odd Couple. You heard some of the clips just there, her on The Brady Bunch, and of course, she was also Lucy on Charlie Brown in several of those movies. I'm talking about Pamela and Ferdin. If you look her up, you'll recognize her face, and we're going to hear some great stories from her about being a child actor in those years, working on so many different shows, and also her recent animal rights activism. So it's very exciting. We're going to have some great insight with her. But first, I want to remind you that my book is out, of course, Killing Journalism, How Greed, Laziness, and Donald Trump Are Destroying News, and How We Can Save It. Check it out at Amazon.com. It's from Willow Street Press, or go to BarnesandNoble.com, or just ask your favorite bookstore to order it. That's Killing Journalism. And of course, as always, we're brought to you by Jiminy's Dog Treats. Jiminy's makes a delicious dog treat that uses cricket protein. Yes, I said cricket protein, which is better than beef or chicken because it's sustainable and good for the environment. Check it out at Jiminy's.com. That's J-I-M-I-N-Y-S.com. And now back to our interview with Pamela Ferdin. How are you doing, Pamela? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for asking, Joe. I appreciate you talking. So, of course, anyone who grew up watching television in the 70s, 60s, 70s, even 80s, knows your face. They may not know your name, but you have such a great iconic image as really one of the it girls, one of the kids, <laughs> children who were, you were on every show, just to name a few. The Odd Couple, which we'll talk about in a minute because I have a certain affinity to The Odd Couple, as my audience knows. But you go back to Charlie Brown specials. You were Lucy. You were on The Monkees. You were on My Three Sons. I'm reading just a list here. The Andy Griffith Show, Bewitched, Gunsmoke, Blondie, The Flying Nun. I mean, if it was on TV and they needed a youngster, you were the person. I know. Well, you know, Joe, I did 200 or more television episodes. And I did about 300-plus commercials and about 30 movies in my career. So I worked a lot. And I was the busiest child actor in Hollywood at that time. So I was working my little butt off. 
<laughs> and you start now. You were from Los Angeles, born and uh, bred. Yes, I was born in L.A., lived in Hollywood, grew up there, and yeah, I think my first commercial was at age three. My mother put me into the business very young, and I did a Clairol commercial at age three, and then I did my first movie at age four, which was What a Way to Go, and um, that starred Dean Martin and Shirley MacLaine. So that's a pretty good company to be in. Yes, very good company. Now, and then when you're a, three years old, do you even remember being involved in it? What What is the memory of that age, or is it all, all you know, uh, too young? No, I do remember, actually. I really do. I remember that when I filmed the Clairol commercial, mm. it was on a set, and I was supposed to walk through the door with my two sisters and talk to my mother and tell her how beautiful her blonde hair was. And because I didn't realize that it was a fake set, when they asked us to go out the door, out the back door, and to come in again... I went out the back door and I fell off the set. Ouch. Because I didn't realize that there was no there was nothing out the back door. There was just a little thing to stand on. So yeah, I was I remember that very well and I certainly remember what a way to go because I would watch Dean Martin you know, have his makeup put on and then I did an episode called The Littlest Hobo. Yes, I and see that, that on was, your credits. Yeah, that was like Lassie. That was Canada's form of Lassie. And basically, I was age four, and I was supposedly in a car with my parents, and I dropped my teddy bear out of the back, and we were in a station wagon, so they didn't notice because they were waiting for the train to go by. And I climbed out the back. Ooh. I got my little teddy bear, and they took off. And then the littlest hobo, who was just a wonderful, wonderful German shepherd, he found me, and he takes me to uh, people that could help. So basically, uh, I definitely remember that because I've always loved animals, and that was my first encounter working with an animal. And, of course, we will talk to you about your great animal rescue efforts. But The Littlest Hobo was, was a dog, and the star of the show was the dog? Yes, a German Shepherd, similar every... to Lassie, where Lassie wow. was the star of the show. So every week there would be some different episode with, with this dog, and you were one of the people he saved uh, in the episode you were in? Exactly, oh exactly. And, you know, it's interesting because that was my first TV episodic, and years later... I would be on Lassie, and I would play a deaf girl who uh, roams around with Lassie. So it was great. I loved it. You were one of how many children, or were you an only child? No, I was one of three. I have two older sisters. One is eight years, and one is seven years older. So actually, I kind of was raised as an only child, because they were so much older. They were basically doing their thing, living a normal life, and I was living this uh, television television life. And, you know, it was fun in, in many, many ways, and it was difficult in many, many ways and challenging. Did your older siblings ever get into the business, or did your parents try to put them in, or what? What prompted your mom to take you in for the auditions? Well, yes. My two older sisters did some episodics, mm -hmm. but not very many. Because once I came around and I did a little play that my parents put me in, somebody in the audience said, 
you should put that girl in television because she's cute and she's so smart and she, you know, she she did such a great job. So it was easy for my mother to to put me in the business Uh. because, again, my two sisters had already been in the business. So then she basically concentrated solely on me. Were your parents in the entertainment business at all? I mean, you were in L.A. It wouldn't be a surprise. No, my but my mother always dreamed of being an actress. And so I think she basically uh, tried to live out her dream through me. Oh, did that ever get difficult? Were you always willing and excited about it? Or were you sort of pushed into it at a younger age and there were some difficulties? Yes, yes, Ooh, okay. but definitely the latter. Well, tell us what occurred the first few shows. Obviously, you wouldn't have continued if you weren't good at it. So the directors and, and producers liked your work. What was difficult about it at, at young ages? Well, there was just a lot of pressure to be perfect so I could mm. please my mother and be perfect so I could please the director. And it was just, I was a pretty shy little girl. And mm. to have to go out on interviews at that age, and I was intimidated. And I was even frightened when I was in that room alone with the casting directors when I first got into the business at age three. So it was difficult. It really was. But, um, but you know, it's interesting because when I was working in the 60s and even in the early 70s, I caught the end of an era. I, I, I was in the business at the end of the studio system mm-hmm. where you had the big studios and they would have contract players and they would do everything in-house. And that was really fun because you would go to the commissary, and I don't even think they have commissaries anymore, but Mm. they would have these big, huge, lavish commissaries, and all the producers and directors and actors would go there for lunch. And so I would go into the commissary for lunch, and I would pass people like Lucille Ball and uh, Dick Van Dyke and Jack Benny and Bing Crosby, and I worked with those people. And so, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was the end of, of that era. And then after, after that, it just changed when I was about probably 15, where they started all these different private production companies. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't as fun. You know, the actors would eat in their, in their, um, RVs and nobody really went to the commissary. It wasn't as formal. And I, you know, I'm glad I, I'm glad I got a taste of it before it ended. Wow, that's interesting. And you were never on a long-term series as a main player. You played on a lot of shows and had a lot of different parts. Some recurring, like Edna on The Odd Couple, and I'm seeing a, a few other shows on your long list here that you would return. Did you? Was that more fun or less fun? Would you have liked to have been on a series and kind of kept going as more of a regular, or was it fun to kind of jump? around and get to do so many different things and, in essence, get to be seen probably by more people. Well, actually, I did the Paul Lynn show, yes. and that ran for one year, and I was in all of those episodes. Ah, okay. And then Lassie, I was the main character in about probably one and a half years, so about 30 episodes. Oh, I stand so, corrected. Um, yeah, but I definitely agree with you. I think that doing all these different television guest-starring roles on the Brady Bunch and on Star Trek and on the Flying Nun and all these different shows, it really was fun because 
I got to be with different actors. I got to work with different actors and directors, and it was it was fun. It really was. I mean, again, there were times when it was extremely, extremely difficult, and and it was very hard. But you know, I I managed to get by, and it, it, some of it was a lot of fun, especially working with some of the stars, these major stars. And it was pretty exciting. Now, how was the treatment of you as a child? Obviously, you're five, six, seven, eight years old in the early years. Uh, were the were you paid well, and were you protected in getting the payments that some parents, you know, absconded with from their children in in other places? And were you also getting residuals? Because I would imagine you're on some show somewhere often enough, uh, many times a week. Uh, your your face is appearing somewhere. How does all that work, or did it work at the time? Well, you know, that was. That was something that I, how do I say this? That was something that was very difficult for me because, you know, I I think financially, you know, my parents could have handled it better. Let's just say that. (laughs) Are are your parents still with us and are you having, are you in good relations with them? Well, I am and I'm not. So um, I'll just leave it for, I don't know. (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. But you're okay. That's a good thing. You're, you you yeah. survived, and as you know, many child actors end up in bad shape, whether emotionally or drug-wise or even, you know, lo- loss of life or jail. You seem to have come through it well. What do you think it was? Was it just you knew how to handle it, or you just worked with good people? Or did you ever have a downtime that you had to sort of struggle through to, to get from child to adult? Yes, it was definitely hard for me to go from child actor to a teenage actor, because in those days, again, it was in the 70s mm-hmm. when, unfortunately for me, the types of episodes being filmed at that time were very kind of um, kind of raunchy in a way. Ooh. And I didn't want to play the part of a drug addict, or I didn't want to play the part of a, pro- a young prostitute. And so I really just wanted to stick to wholesome roles, because that was me. I mean, I, I just, for some reason, and I don't know why, but I was just always very wholesome, and that's what I like. And so that's one of the reasons I eventually got out of the business, because I didn't want to do a, I didn't want to do nude scenes. I didn't want mm-hmm. to, to do anything like that. And a lot of the parts, uh, a lot of the movies in those days wanted a nude scene, and I just couldn't do that. So it was. It was really hard making that transition. And I did make it when I did Space Academy, which was a children's show that incorporated all the things that Star Trek had. And so it was a Star Trek on a, for, for kids, basically, or for young people. And that was fun because, again, I got to play a wholesome gal, and, but it was difficult. It was difficult to make that transition. Now, you would do a lot of shows at once. I'm looking here in 1965 when you were, what, all of six years old or five yes. years old? You were um, yes. counting up Bewitched, The Andy Griffith Show, Branded, a show I never heard of, The John Forsythe Show, just on and on and on. And what was it like those when you're that young age? You probably, it seems, really gravitated well to the camera. And, and you had this look of, of, a, of a cute little girl, but you had a beautiful big smile. And you also had that sweet sweet voice and i must say you still have that youngster <laughs> voice which if i could say that as a compliment well you know it's funny you say that because when i played the voice of lucy yes. lucy van pelt actually that was her full name oh, lucy yeah. van pelt and when uh, charles schultz picked my voice out of 50 little girls that basically auditioned for the role 
he loved my, my voice for Lucy. And after a few years, the reason why I wasn't replaced was because he said, Pamela, your voice is still the same. Your voice never changes. So I do have a, I guess I do have a, a certain quirkiness in my voice, but, <laughs> but that was great. I, I loved, uh, that was one of my favorite roles was to play Lucy on Charlie Brown. That really was. You were in, it says your uh, TV movie, it was a short right. summer Charlie Brown, and then A Boy Named Charlie Brown, which was a full-length movie, correct? Correct. And, and you know, it's interesting, because when I first got the, when I first got the uh, audition, I looked at the script, and I just didn't want to play Lucy as a mean brat, mm-hmm. uh, like she was before. I thought, who, who, the, the gal who did Lucy before me, I thought she was just too mean. And so I decided to make her more of a bossy, bossy little girl and frustrated with Charlie Brown rather than just straight, mean and nasty. And Charles Schultz thought that was that was great. He he actually liked that interpretation. So out of 50 little girls, I, I got the part. And you had also had some acting experience at that time. And it says here you came back in another TV movie, 1971, played again Charlie Brown. Yes. So you, you yes. played many Lucy voices. But I, I know that Boy Named Charlie Brown was, was really the famous movie that came from a Broadway show that really put Charlie Brown on a bigger level than just the TV specials because it was a full-length film and a very touching one about him going on the spelling bee and Lucy's trying to help him and then Linus goes with him. And, and it wasn't all sort of sad for Charlie Brown because a lot of the TV specials I thought were very sad, especially the Halloween one, which I was talking to someone about recently, where all he gets is rocks in his Halloween can. I thought that was so I mean. Know. But at I least in uh, in the movie that you were in, or the boy named Charlie Brown, one of the movies, he gets this great chance to win, and he doesn't win, but he, he does very well and gets some, some positive reinforcement. But Lucy was such a strong character. And again, your voice, as I believe I would agree with Charles, Charles Schultz, that you have that voice that really wasn't a fake voice, because that was your real voice, right? Right, yeah. I didn't, actually, I didn't even know how to do any other voices than my own. And and I did a lot of voiceovers. I did not only Lucy, I played Fern in Charlotte's Web, Excellent. which is just an absolutely beautiful movie and starred Debbie Reynolds and Henry Gibson and Paul Lind and Agnes Moorhead. So I was working with this incredible cast and Fern, basically, what she's a little girl and she lives on a farm, and her father was taking an axe and going to kill the runt, Ooh. the pig, the runt of the litter right. of pigs. And Fern says, Daddy, Daddy, please don't kill him. If I was a runt, would you have killed me? Here are the eggs, Mama. Thank you, Fern. What's Papa going to do with that axe? Some pigs were born last night. What does he need an axe for? One of the pigs was a runt. Your father has to do away with it. Do away with it? You you mean kill it? Well, yes. Just because it's smaller than the others? Don't yell, Fern. The pig would probably die anyway. Papa! 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 Papa, stop! Don't! Don't kill it! It's unfair! Fern, you will have to learn to control yourself. Control myself? This is a matter of life and death. And you talk about controlling myself. Now, Fern, I know more about raising pigs than you do. A weakling makes trouble. Now, run along. <laughs> but it's unfair. If I had been very small, would you have killed me? Oh, certainly not. 
A little girl is one thing, a runny pig is another. <laughs> I don't see any difference. So he didn't kill Wilbur, and I and uh, Wilbur, we were pals, and, and it, was, it was a great experience because in those days, they put all the actors together. So we were all lined up at Hanna-Barbera, and we recorded together. So there were about probably 13 people in the recording room together. And oh my gosh. It, it was it was great, and now they do voices separately, yeah. or they do two at a time, and so you never get a feeling of being in an ensemble. And that's what that's what it was doing the voice of Fern and Charlotte's Web, and working with these incredible incredible people. And I got to sing to Wilbur, and it's just if any of your listeners want to see a beautiful, beautiful movie. It's the one, it's the animated version in 1973, not the new version, but the one in 1973, and it was really, um, it's a classic. For Charlotte's Web. For Charlotte's Web. Well, that sounds like the way they set it up was like old-time radio, the old radio dramas, where you're all in one room, and you're really playing off each other, and uh, like you said, a real ensemble, which you're right, they don't do that anymore. Now, when you were a child acting so much, how did you go to school? Did you have tutors, or did you do it in the summer? How did that work? Well, that was very, very difficult because, unfortunately, my parents wanted me to go to public school Mm -hmm. for whatever the reason. And I really should have been at Hollywood Professional School because Hollywood Professional School was a school where all the kids in the business went. And so the Hmm. teachers knew how to give them assignments when they were working. All the kids were knew about each other and acting. But unfortunately, I went to schools where the kids would make fun of me. They would just be really, really mean. And the teachers didn't know how to give an assignment when I was in and out all the time. Mm. So it was just a very, very bad experience. And I, I shed a lot of tears. Let's oh, just so say sorry. that. How would they be, treat you better? I would think you'd be the star of the, of the school and the most famous person. And everyone would be sort of excited to talk to you about being on TV. Well, you would think. Yeah. But when you're young, I guess, and you have this student a fellow student go back and forth they're away for two weeks and then they're back for a week and then they're away for four weeks and then I'm back for a few days I think they were just in either intimidated or they just couldn't get close to me and so you know it, it was difficult I remember on Valentine's Day when I was in about I don't know first grade the teacher gave an assignment for everybody to make little hearts right for other students in the room and uh, I was the only student that didn't get any. Oh my god. So That's... it was it, it wasn't easy, I'll tell you, but you know, I did the best I could with my circumstances. Now when you're acting so much as a child and again we're talking to Pamela Ferdin, child actor legend, I think. And again as I say, if you don't know her name, you know her face, go look it up and you'll say, "Oh yes, she was in this and that and the other thing." But did you ever take any real acting lessons or did you were you so busy actually performing that you didn't really need to take the lessons or have time? No, I was very busy performing so I didn't take any lessons it wasn't until I was about maybe 16 or 17 Mm -hmm. that I went to a class and it was Lee Strasberg sure very famous uh, very famous acting coach yes the method acting coach 
Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, yeah. all these actors thought the world of him. And I went to his class, and I was the youngest student he ever accepted. So I was about oh, wow. 16. And I didn't last very long because he um, had us, he, he would give these assignments. And one of the assignments was being a cookie that was cooked in the oven. Oh, wow. And I just thought that was kind of, I didn't know how that had anything to do with with um, a, a role in, in the business. And then he also had us, this is the one that really cinched zeal, and I never went back again, was uh-huh. he had the students act like they were on a hot, hot beach. And these actors would go up, or these students, I should say, would go up and start taking their clothes off because they were so hot. Oh, my gosh. And I said, oh, my God, I said, this is not for me. <laughs> so I left and never came back, and I don't think I'm any worse for it. Yeah, I think you had you probably could have taught the class. You've more experience than most of them. I wanted to ask you about a couple quick examples because, again, your long list, and I'm looking at some other ones here, Chips, Vegas, uh, Beretta, Streets of San Francisco, two of the more iconic, really, I think, big-time shows, Star Trek. You were in one of the really, I think, famous, I'm not a huge Trekkie like some, but I'm a, I am a big fan, and I've seen them all. And the show you were in was an early one about the children. They go to a planet, and their children are running the planet, and and they're kind of misguided by this powerful force. And you're one of, I think, five or six children that are really taken over by control of this leader on the planet. And then the children have the power. And then the Star Trek crew saves them. What was it like to be on that iconic show? Which at the time, I would imagine, wasn't well known. It really got famous later. But I would assume in the years since, people would, big Trekkies, would tie you into that show. Was, was that very memorable at the moment as an actress? Yes, this powerful force, you're right, controlled these kids and made them kill their parents. Ah, that's right. That's and, how bad they were. And and it was Melvin Belli, who was a that's famous, right. famous attorney. Yes. And he wanted to be on Star Trek. And so they awesome. they created a part for him. The kids were brought to the Starship Enterprise and we tried to take that over, but we were we were basically subdued and brought back to our nice selves by William Shatner. And it was great. I really loved the costume that I wore, and it had daisies all over it, and it was very kind of 60s-ish. And William Shatner, I had a huge crush on. He was my, oh my gosh, he was probably my first crush, and he knew it. And I would try and follow him places, and I would watch him put on his makeup, and I even tried to uh, go and knock on his trailer except he had two big Doberman pinchers. So <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't too uh, successful in going and saying hello to him in his trailer. But um, I'm sure they were nice, though. They, they were very nice dogs. Anyway, he asked me to marry him. And I said, yes, Mr. Shatner, I'd oh. love to marry you. And he even gave me a little cigar band as a ring. So he, he was very nice to me, and he was very sweet for, uh, for kind of playing the role of uh, my fiancé. <laughs> and they didn't have a lot of children on Star Trek. In fact, that might have been the only episode, at least not as main characters. So that would have been right. unusual to have children. And it was called, And the Children Shall Lead. The idea that these children would be taken over and controlled and c- kill their parents, that's a very rough premise and well, dark. Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek really pushed the limits. So yes. I think, you know, Gene Roddenberry, the producer and, and the directors, they, um, 
I think they did do things that might not have been acceptable in in those days. So, but it was it was a lot of fun. It was also a very intelligent show. I thought where they had some very very smart premise. It didn't play off of special effects and things because special effects back then probably weren't that great for the first part. But they had very intelligent political uh, issues and control and even some racial things they got into. And I know I think it had the first interracial kiss, which at the time. Right. Was very, and again, to have children be this menacing was very creative. And was it fun there for you to work with these other? Did you know any of the other actors who were on with you or stayed in touch with them after? Or did you kind of all come and go? No, the kids uh, I stayed in contact with, right. and it was a lot of fun. And the only other one I wanted to ask you about is, I mentioned earlier, I'm a big Odd Couple fan. You played Edna in two episodes of The Odd Couple. Of course, that was uh, Felix Sunger's Tony Randall's daughter. But you also were in an earlier episode where you played a friend of a, of some children who were on the show when they went to a lake and got trapped. What was right. it like to be on The Odd Couple? And again, was that a show at the time that was known to be a big deal because it got a lot of attention later in reruns? Well, it was a blast. It really was. That was one of my most favorite uh, television shows I've ever done because working with Jack Klugman and Tony Randall was one of the best experiences I had. And it was so interesting because they were both like their characters. I mean, Tony Randall would be dressed in a in a coat and tie even during rehearsals, and he would uh, sing operas during rehearsal, and, and he was just very much Tony Randall and Jack Klugman would come and he would be in jeans and and a and a sweatshirt and he would bring bagels to the set and so their their characters were very very like themselves and it was it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I felt very close to Tony Randall. He treated me like a daughter and I really really wanted to stay as his daughter. But I got the Paul Lynn show. So I basically wanted to stay as Tony Randall's daughter, even though I was only in a few episodes and even though I only had a reoccurring part. I would have much preferred to have a reoccurring part on the Paul, on the um, Odd Couple than do 26 episodes on Paul Lynn because, you know, I just love doing the Odd Couple so much. Because later but in the... Unfortunately, mm-hmm. unfortunately, I couldn't be two daughters on the same network. So my parents chose the Paul Lynn show, which I, I didn't agree with, but I was Ooh. just a child, so... And they did bring in Edna later in the series, but that was a different actress. I always wondered why you weren't on later shows, but now it makes sense because you had the other show, the Paul Lynn show you had to be on. You mentioned earlier when we were talking that it was the first time you worked in front of a live audience? Yes, it was. That was really interesting. I mean, I didn't... I was intimidated at first, but we would rehearse the odd couple four days, and on the fifth day, they would bring in a live audience. And so we changed the script. If uh, the Tony Randall and Jack Klugman certainly you know, added to the script. They added laugh lines. They were, they were very funny. And what I would do is just rehearse with them for four days. And Tony Randall taught me how to be in front of a live audience, yet also play for the cameras. And that's kind of difficult because you can't overplay because then the cameras will think that you're exaggerating too much. And you can't underplay because then the studio audience won't really get it and laugh. And so he taught me how to project. And he would say, Pamela, project, project. 
And he would just teach me that. And it was great because I learned from the best. And I certainly learned how to play in front of a live audience. And then, of course, I went to the, on to the Paul Lynn show, and that was filmed in front of a live audience. So, yeah, it was different, much different than just having a sound stage and one camera and only the crew in the entire sound stage. And the camera could cl- come up for close-ups, and then you'd have to do a two-shot, and then you'd have to do a wide angle. And that wasn't what happened on, on shows that were filmed in front of a live audience. Now, of all the shows you were on as guests in all those years, the 60s, 70s, what, what was the most fun episodes or show to be on? What was the least fun? I would say The Odd Couple was one of the most fun. Uh, Star Trek was one of the most fun. The Flying Nun was one of the most fun. Oh, I could say a bunch. And I would say the least fun was definitely the Paul Lynn show. Oh, I'm so sorry because you were on that so long. I so know. That was very know. tough on you. Yes, yes. It was, it was a very difficult series to work on because Paul Lynn wasn't in a good place. And so he wasn't funny off camera, and he was very serious off camera. And I think that, you know, it just never it just never felt right. And I think that's why, obviously, it was canceled after a year. But mm-hmm. um, I, I really missed um, The Odd Couple. <laughs> and did you ever stay in touch with Tony Randall or Jack Klugman in years after? Or run you know, I, the, 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 the only time I saw Jack Klugman after The Odd Couple was when I was filming Beretta, and I mm. was supposed to be eight months pregnant, so they had this uh, this um, outfit underneath my sweatshirt and jeans that had a, a big tummy. And I remember I was walking to the cafeteria for lunch, and Jack Klugman was there, and I said, Hi, Mr. Klugman, how are you? And he looked, he, he was white. He looked at me, and <laughs> all the blood drained out of his face. And I said, Mr. Klugman, I'm not pregnant. This is just for Beretta. So um, that was the that was the last time I saw him. Oh, that's so fun! And then I saw in your acting credits up through about 1982, and then you took a long break. Did you just want to get out of acting then? What what sort of what occurred? And how old were you then? Maybe in 82, 83. I guess a teenager, older teenager. Yeah. Um. Well, I worked until I was about I would say 1920, okay. and yeah, then I got out of the business and I became a nurse. And I went to nursing school because I wanted to help people, and I wanted to be with normal normal kids. And I had never been around normal kids. I never had friends. I never had close friends uh, growing up because I was working so much. So when I got the chance to go to nursing school, I took it, and I, I had a great time. And then, of course, my my most the the most proud thing that I've ever done was to be an animal rights activist. That's- that's right, and we're going to ask you about that. I just wanted to ask you, though, with all the schooling you did, where did you end up graduating high school, and then did you finish nursing, and were you a, a working nurse as well? Yeah, yeah. I was. I graduated from USC County Medical Center as a nurse, and then I went on to Harbor UCLA to their trauma department as an emergency room nurse. Oh, my gosh. And then after that, you know, that's where I met my husband. We got married, and, and then I was his nurse when he finished his residency, which, which was in uh, surgery. So I was his nurse, and then we both, we both became very involved in animal issues. And the way I became involved was they were having a wolf kill in Alaska, mm. and little 
planes, basically, little biplanes, were, were flying over areas in Alaska and literally gunning down the wolves. And they did that because they wanted to keep the caribou population high so that the hunters would come and pay money to kill the caribou. So uh, we were just we were just so uh, shocked that that something like this would go go on that we started looking into other things that were were very cruel to animals and of course we originally we we became vegans and mm-hmm. we were shown videotapes of animals at, in slaughterhouses and on factory farms and it was so cruel and i just i just couldn't believe it i just i never thought that anything like that happened you know taking chickens and debeaking them cutting off their beaks because they were in such close confinement, they would end up pecking at each other, and so they would sear off their beaks, and some of them couldn't even eat after that, and so they they starved to death. And and just just the, the dairy cows that would be hooked up to these horrible, horrible machines and made to give milk for their entire short lives and then be um, carted off to the slaughterhouse after that. So things like that just made us realize how how cruel, how cruel uh, eating meat and drinking milk is. And so we became vegan, and, and then we went off on our journey to do other things in the animal rights community. What year was it that you first discovered the wolves being killed? It was 19... 92. And you were nursed to your husband being a doctor. Right. So they right. were killing was... wolves from the air because they didn't want the wolves to kill the caribou. They wanted to be able to make money letting the humans come in and pay them to kill the caribou. Exactly. So you were dealing with killing wolves so that caribou can be killed. Double murder going on. Because I know a lot of times when they have, I know where I live in, in New Jersey, they have deer calling. I mean, they call it that. Deer calling, deer control. It's killing deer. But their approach is because they say they spread disease and the deer get out in the streets and get hit by cars, which some people object to, that kind of thing. But at least there's a pointed reason to do it, even if you don't agree with the reason. But it sounds like what they were doing in Alaska was purely to make money. Well, um, yes. And um, I would basically argue that deer don't don't carry diseases that would kill people. I mean, I, I believe that humans carry diseases that would kill other humans. Well, you know, we basically went, tried actually, we went to a deer kill and we tried to get some of the hunters to not kill the deer. And I followed one of the hunters asking him and begging him not to kill a deer. And right in front of me, a beautiful, a beautiful female deer walked towards a pine tree and he turned around and just shot her at point-blank range and it was so horrific because then a little fawn her little fawn followed the mother deer as the hunter was pulling her through the snow up to the street to load her into the car to load her dead body and the little fawn was tagging along and then he um threw threw things at the poor little fawn to to make the fawn go away and um, I'm sure the fawn died because he needed his mother. So he basically killed two deer in one, and it, it was just horrific. And now, you know, now they're, they say that they had, to, they had to kill the deer because of the deer population was getting too big. But they don't realize that deer 
control their own population. If there's not enough to eat, then they don't have babies. And so it's a ridiculous argument. They just want to kill deer. I mean, that's the only reason. And so that was that was a very terrible but eye-opening experience. Now, where can people find out more about your animal efforts? I know you have a website, PamelaFerdon.com. You also yes. have a Facebook page? Yes, Facebook.com slash Ferdin. What are the areas that you're involved in now, specifically involving the different animal rights? Sounds like you do a lot of different things. Yes, but what I do is I volunteer. I volunteer at city shelters. And I try and educate the public to please, please, instead of buying a, a dog or a cat, rescue a dog or a cat at the city shelter because they kill them in three days. These wonderful dogs that are that, that come in or the cats are just killed, and they only have three days. So if people started going and adopting from city shelters, they really, truly are saving a life. And I talk about this in my book that's coming out in 2019. Yes, we want to make sure to talk about that. Tell us about the book. Yeah, I have a book that I think is, I hate to toot my own horn, but it is great. It really is. I don't think you're tooting your horn. I think that's fine. There's plenty to toot. it 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 talks about my life in the business. It talks about my personal life. It talks about the struggles that I've gone through, and then it it goes, uh, it it talks about all the actors I've met and different stories about the the actors I've worked with, and then it goes into my nursing school and and then animal rights, and, you know, it's really, it's a wonder, it was a wonderful journey to write this because people are going to be, I think, surprised when they read this book. What's the title and when is it coming out? It's coming out in 2019, and, you know, right now... we are working on a title, <laughs> but if if people go to either my website or follow me, which I'd love, on Facebook.com slash Pamela Ferdin, they will definitely know what the name is and when exactly it's coming out. Yes, and there's a great photo of you on your Facebook page as a little girl on the director's chair with Pamela Ferdin on the back, which is such a great testament. And I'm noticing as we're taping this, today is Edna Ugner's birthday, so you are keeping up yes. with your old... Uh, categories very nicely. On the Facebook page, it has a picture of me and Tony Randall yeah, and, and the Jack birthday Plunder. party. <laughs> right. Did, now, did they mention in the episode when that, what the date was, or is that when it aired, or? That was when it aired. Ah, so we'll assume that's her birthday. Why not? Why it's not? Her birthday on the show when they had the clown who was sort of yes. a uh, sneaky clown, who came into her birthday party, and it was raining, and, and Tony Randall's character, Felix, is trying to have a nice birthday for her, and all these things go wrong, but as happens on the outcome, in the end, it was a happy ending, and she was 10 years old. So, were you now? Were, how old were you when you played her in that episode? I was... Ten years old. Ten years old. So that was that was accurate uh, casting, which doesn't always occur in Hollywood. Oh no, no, no! no? I take that back. I take no? that back. I was actually twelve years ah, old. but you had to be ten. Yes. So that was well. You. I looked young anyway yes. because remember, I'm I'm very petite, and um, so I I played a lot of younger roles. What do you remember about that specific episode? Anything that was surprising or behind-the-scenes tidbits of of how it occurred? I just thought it was hysterical to go into Jack Klugman's room, and I I just had a blast with, with Tony Randall, and he really did... He really did treat me like a daughter. He he really Aww. truly we 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 
we really blended together. We played off of each other like I've never played off any other actor. We just had a connection, the symbiosis that, that we had. And so I thought it was hysterical, uh, the, uh, the whole episode. And so it was wonderful. And I wish, I really wish I um, had done more. But, you know, like I said, the Paul Lynn show came around. I was going to be uh, 13 out of 13 episodes. And so my parents chose that. And I really begged them to let me stay on the Paul, right. uh, on the Odd Couple. But anyway, so... It sounds like a lot of this will be in your book. People, yes. when should they look for it? Do you have a, any more of a date in mind or is it still sometime no, in the new it's, year? No, it's, um, it's coming out definitely in 2019. But again, if you want to know when it's coming out, follow me on Facebook. Absolutely. And I'll tell everyone, follow <laughs> you on Facebook. Are you on Twitter? Uh, not on Twitter, but I have a website, www.pamelinferdin.com, and my Facebook page. Not Twitter. So everyone not yet. keep up with those, and we'll keep the information coming. Anything else okay. you want to say on the animal rescue front? because it's great work that you're doing in terms of what people should find out. On my Facebook page, right. um, every Saturday I print, I write actually, an essay that's put on the Facebook page every Saturday. And actually, if they go to my website, they can go, they can click on essays and they'll find all the essays I've written talking about animals. And I think it would be really interesting because some of the things that I've written, people do not even know about because they just don't, think. I mean, they just don't know, and they aren't told. And so I hope that it's an educating um, experience. And, and so I think your your listeners would really find it very, very insightful. And I think it might even change some lives. You mentioned before the deer population myth that people have about controlling the deer population. Anything else? What's sort of one other thing you would tell people about animal rights, animal rescue that maybe would be surprising. Another thing would be um, the plight of dairy cows. And people don't understand that in order for a dairy cow to give milk, she has to be pregnant. I mean, that's the only way a cow and a human gives milk when they're pregnant and they have babies. So basically, a dairy cow is kept pregnant her entire life. Oh, my gosh. And she's artificially inseminated with something called a rape rack. And it's a horrible machine that basically artificially inseminates her every time she's at the end of her cycle of giving milk. And she is and she gets pregnant again. And, you know, her babies, the female babies of dairy cows go into, again, the dairy industry and the male offspring, which I don't think people know at all about. But the male offspring go to make veal and they're taken away from their mother's when their umbilical cords are still hanging. And you can mm. see in the videos how they move for each other, and they're, they cry out for each other. And these poor male calves are taken to these horrible, horrible igloos and given a iron-deficient diet so that their, their flesh is white, and then they're killed for veal. So if you're eating, if you're drinking dairy, if you're drinking dairy and eating cheese, then you're eating veal. And it's just, it's just a horrible thing. And there are so many alternatives like almond milk and oat milk and soy milk. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just, I don't understand why, why people would drink regular milk. It's so, ooh, to me. <laughs> oh, because probably they don't know about this, which is very sad. But it's good to know that they're constantly getting pregnant, which obviously can't be healthy for the cows either. 
to be. I mean, no, any, if you're no. a, if you were a human, if you were a woman getting pregnant constantly, that would take a toll on your body. I would imagine with a cow as well. So that's why they don't they don't live a long life. Right, because oh. they're pre- they're giving so much milk that their bones lose calcium, and so they basically just physically end up collapsing, and and that's when they're taken to the slaughterhouse. We have taken up a lot of your time. I appreciate it. Great reminiscing with you. And we'll remind people to go to PamelaFurden.com to go to your Facebook page, facebook.com slash PamelaFurden. Learn about all your great work, about your great work with animal rescue and animal rights. And, of course, your book will be coming out. That'll be fun to read for those who followed your career from the first show when you were a little kid up till all the shows in the 60s, 70s, and now your great work for others. And what is your current – are you you're still with your husband and you have any children? No. No, actually, uh, we got so involved in animal rights that I, I basically had to make a choice, and I, I chose animal rights as my um, as my child, and I'm very I'm very proud of that. And do you have any of your own pets? I do, of course, two rescued doggies from the shelter. What else would you think, oh, Joe? Hey, we, we want to give you credit <laughs> for everything. I'm always amazed that people won't get animals from shelters because there is such a need if people go and buy especially people who want to breed a breeder dog or some fancy show dog there are so many animals out there that need a home and it's great the adoption houses at least where i live are are really thorough now that they really do background checks and they treat the animals well there are a lot of no-kill shelters that still need people to adopt because they don't have limitless space but it seems like the whole industry is a lot better than it used to be and people are more aware that there's a dog out there or a cat out there for you if you want one before you start buying ones that don't need a home as badly as the rescue dog so that's great yes and they are so appreciative i mean they know they know that they've been rescued and it's just such a a wonderful feeling to know that you've actually saved a life if you didn't adopt that dog or cat from a city shelter they would have been killed and i think i think it's just uh, a wonderful thing for people to go to their city shelter and adopt so That's, everybody do that. Well, again, thank you, Pamela Ferdin. Okay. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. We'll look for uh, you. your book and all your all your animal rescue work. And, of course, all the shows you've done in the past have done a lot for entertaining people for many years. And thanks again for your time, and good luck uh, as things continue. Thank you so much, Joe. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. You too. Be well. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. And that's all for this week's edition of The Retro Room. We want to thank Pamela Ferdin for her time and insight. Great stories about growing up in television, as she did, and, of course, her most recent animal rights work. Check out what she's doing at her website and get more information on how you can help out as well. And, of course, my book is out. That's Killing Journalism, How Greed, Laziness, and Donald Trump Are Destroying News, and How We Can Save It at Amazon.com through Willow Street Press, or ask your local bookstore to order it. Get more information on it at my website, joestrupp.com. And, of course, our sponsor, as always, is Jiminy's. Jiminy's Dog Treats are cricket protein, hypoallergenic, humane, nutritious, and delicious, and fights climate change. Reduce your carbon paw print with Jiminy's at Jiminy's.com. That's J-I-M-I-N-Y-S.com. And thanks again for tuning in to The Retro Room. We'll be back next time with another edition. Until then, have a nice day.